Welcome, dirty peasants, to episode 66 of Wartwood Gazette, the Amphibia podcast. I'm your host, the Maticon, and join me today we have Impact. Yo, what's good, everybody? Pickle. Hey. Sticks. Hey. And Nick. What's up? <laughs> I was happy to be here. All right, thanks guys for coming on tonight. So, uh, if you've been listening to us for a while, like we we've covered all the episodes, we've covered we had an interview with Matt, <laughs> and uh, this week we're kind of just this kind of this is us returning from our our little hiatus. Uh, stuff we're going to talk about today is just what it was like planning the uh, the interview we did with Matt. Uh, Styx is going to lead the conversation for Pixelatl 2022, which was the expo that happened in Mexico that he was able to attend. And uh, we'll see how time, how much time this, these take up. I think that's enough. That'll be enough for today. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good <laughs> list of agenda. That's a good. Uh, those topics should carry us for today. Uh, I guess starting with the Matt interview, um, I guess for those of you, like, so we were, we, the video came out in August, and um, if you watched it, if you haven't watched it already, I, I highly recommend you do. Uh, so I think that video, like, we released that in August, but we actually recorded mid-July. And we actually started planning this around May. Like, that's when we were sort of in talks to, like, actually, like, or, like, actually, like, make it happen. Because we wanted it to be, like, we wanted to, we wanted to schedule the Matt interview on time with, after we finished all the episode discussions. And I'm, I'm glad that turned out pretty, like, we, I missed a couple of weeks. Like, I had to take some weeks off. But I, the timing was, like, perfect because like the moment we finished the after the rain recording it was like a week over like a week after we did the matt interview which was perfect timing and uh i am sure i know i know once we found out like that once matt kind of gave us like the green light that he'd be willing to come on like that's when we started planning i know i know everyone in this chat like had a chance to see like how we were like writing it up and uh I, I do apologize if I was a little, I was very, uh, I was very, uh, certain. I had a very clear idea of how, what I wanted to ask Matt about. So like, I know Nick and I were like kind of going back and forth of like what to actually, what we, what we want to prepare. And Nick, you remember, like, I think <laughs> my main motive, like my, my main goal was to just talk about like Anne and the planners basically, which because I, I know they are the focus of the show to some extent, or and, and especially, but like I, I know the fandom loves like likes talking about Sasha and Marcy, and there's a lot of great stuff going on with them. But then it feels like 
Nick, did we we had this conversation about like how because we've been the fan of for so long, like we kind of see the same stuff, like yeah, like it's new people start to bring it, like we start to have like this like cycle of like new people discovering stuff about the show and, and uh, topics that we've already discussed, like resurfaced. And I think a, yeah, uh, one of our biggest goals of the interview was to like, kind of like tread as much new ground as possible. Yeah. Like, I feel like that just speaks like the, the interview itself. I feel like that does just speak to the heart of like the podcast itself where, our goal, yeah, like, a lot of times our goal, goal does end up being talking about, like, you know, those sort of un- undermentioned topics, searching for new things to talk about, just, you know, the usual stuff you could you could say is unknown to the fandom, right? And, yeah, you can see a lot of that in our Corollers past interview, where, like, me and Thumb, we take over for, like, an hour talking about Corollers past. It's Rig and Polly and, like, the Alms. And then we, like, sit back for everyone else talking about um toad catcher. What, like what, what was it like yeah toad catcher so it's like i don't know that that's a lot of the energy we brought over to the man interview like we just i, I don't know it was just fun it's funny how the main leads like we were i don't know is it kind of just funny how like the discussion of the main leads of a show, like we're like, wow, they're so underrated. Like, like I don't know, it's, it's weird that we're in that situation, but um, yeah, no, it, it was, yeah, it's really fulfilling to be able to do something like that because it's just like I was already incredibly satisfied, but but what we managed to do with the podcast for over a year, but then like, boom, we have that chance to really cap things off with like the man who built the show, you know, like, that's sort of, like, like, the god of the show, in a way, you know, like, the, the like, the highest voice, the highest authority of power when it comes to the show, so, yeah, no, that, that was incredible, really, just to have, just to get that chance, you know, to sit down, be face-to-face with him, and just talk about the show sort of on, the, on an equal level, so, yeah, lots of fun, and just, Hell, let, let, let me just bring up this, like, just getting to that point, too. I mean, because I don't know if you just went over it, but, like, it's the fact that it went from, like, a joke slash a pipe dream to suddenly getting that opportunity and realizing that, yeah, we have to develop this into a real thing that will actually function and work. Yeah, that was all just incredible. All right. Thank you, Nick. And I guess, like, I, I know I, I saw some of your comments, like, like in the in the chat, but I just want to know, like, I, I guess starting with pickle, like, what were your like? What did you think of the the interview? Uh, I liked. I mean, I definitely you you said the the whole tread new ground stuff, but it's nice to get it's nice to get information on the less uh, less spotlighted characters. Everyone always because you know a lot of interviews ask a lot of questions about the trio, and then this one asked a lot of questions about the planters. And uh, I think they're kind of a, a constant of the show that gets overlooked and maybe taken for granted sometimes. And also, I really liked sort of, it was more of a, an industry focus as well. Like, we got to, it wasn't, sometimes people ask a lot of questions about the, the plot or the canon that can't or necessarily be answered or maybe shouldn't. But it's, it's I find it, like, learning about, like, more about the how instead of just the what is always very interesting. 
All right, thank you, Pickle. Uh, Sticks, what what were your thoughts on the interview? I know, like you, I remember you gave me like a couple of notes, like once you saw like the uh, the almost finalized draft. Oh, uh, yeah, about that. I sadly most of my you know questions, you know, due to time, no hard feelings. I know uh, got cut. Uh, so that was oof, that was kind of like a hit. But it just, you know, um, after, well, beyond everything else that I kind of think about just how insane that, that we had the opportunity to make that interview is that, well, you know, I don't feel as bad or I don't feel bad at all that, you know, things that I personally wanted to know, um, I didn't, didn't get to ask then because, well, if we got this far, what's to say I can't, you know, ask him in another time if we get another opportunity to do even more and that's kind of what happened considering uh the event that we are going to talk about soon yeah absolutely I- i'm really glad you got that chance sticks um yeah just like sh- oh sorry sorry go ahead oh yeah i was i was gonna go like i was gonna go on to impact but did you want to add oh I mean, yeah i was just gonna say you know just shout out to you guys for all your notes and stuff i mean i think that really um Having those outside perspectives really just gave us a better idea of what sort of... Di- I mean, no, I think we had a solid idea of the direction, but just, like, really making sure this was, like, a solid interview and, like, the best version that ever could have been. Because, yeah, I feel like, feel like just seeing your guys' notes, taking in all those, you know, little criticisms, all those little, like, um, suggestions, and I, I really liked them. It really made me feel like what we're putting together is going to be the best goddamn amphibia interview that's ever happened. And I feel like I like to say we got pretty close. I don't, I, I, I I'm close. What? I don't want to, you know, I don't want to start. I don't want no, I don't, I don't want to start any like flame wars where I'm like, we did way better than you guys. I don't want to start that, but um, I think we did pretty damn good. All right. I, I, impact. What are your thoughts on the interview? Cause I know the way I structured the interview was like, I kind of went through over like the years of uh, like f- to prepare for the interview. Like I had to go through like every interview Matt's ever done over the years and like try and make sure that like I wasn't asking same questions. the same questions, even though I know you came like around the end of season two. So like maybe there's stuff like maybe there was stuff that I mean, you you didn't see before that I couldn't that I wasn't able to address i feel like most of the stuff like i don't know all, all the questions that like were asked in the matt interview were completely new like most of like matt interviews unfortunately when i've i've watched pretty much as much as i could are kind of repetitive you'll have like some que- like obviously you have like the like why frogs, you know, like, and stuff like that. So, and even the trio questions can be, like, quite similar to each other, too. So, but this interview was nice because it was actually talking about, you know, the main characters of the show, so. <laughs> and I think the thing that got me with with the interview itself, like, was how Matt talked about the ending. I know, like, Matt talked, you know, a little bit more on Twitter after the show ended. It was a little bit more, like, talkative there. But I don't think he ever went, like, that much into depth on why the ending was so, like, 
important in general. I loved what he said about like it being a compliment to Gravity Falls is ending of like what's the word? What's the word? I forget exactly what he said. He, he was saying was something like, along the lines of like Gravity Falls ending was like, oh, like everything will be okay as long as we're together and that's okay. And then Amphibia's ending was more like we're not gonna always be together. And that's also okay. Yeah. 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 That's I don't know, man. That like Yeah, that's I really liked that. I made the yeah. ending feel more like special. I feel like most people kind of well, okay. Can't say most people. But I feel like it was just kind of like stating like what a lot of people who looked were really adapted to the show, like repeating what we thought. There we go. So Yeah, like it yeah, yeah, like yeah, moments like that just feel really rewarding because it just makes you, you know, feel like all the time you spend, you know, trying to think deeply about the show is just time well spent when like the show creator's like, ah, oh, you caught out to that, but yeah, like man, I don't know, just just hearing that, I don't know, it makes you because I feel like there's that certain because yeah, in the last ten years, I feel like yeah, we really have ha- sort of had that jump where we could go from like watching Gravity Falls, when Gravity Falls then we had Starverse, and when Starverse then we had like Amphibia, we also had an Outhouse at the same time, it's, it's, I don't know, it makes that it, it also just feels like a nice nod to people who've just been like, you know, super into animation and for the longest time, because now you just have like that sort of acknowledgement between like the similar endings you have there, like I don't know, that, that, that kind of stuff is just really sweet to me yeah, also just yeah, and no, I really agree with what you said. It was just really awesome to have him go in depth on the ending because, you know, tw- I mean, Twitter. Like, how many characters do you have there? Like, I, I don't remember. I don't even use. I don't even use Twitter enough. Thank God I don't. You know, thank <laughs> God Almighty. I use like, I fuck man. I mean, I you know you know what I do when I post tweets on Twitter? I instantly go to mute notifications because like. I, I don't want to know. Like I, I don't really care about what people have to say under there. So like, like hold on, let me just put that out there. But um, you get like what 140 characters to use at max, and like, you know, you you can only say so much before you start a thread on Twitter. Like, you know, the, the podcast is my chance all to vent. So I fuck. Anytime I see someone post something, then they're like, then they have like the like the emoji pointing down the thread below. I'm like, I, 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 I'm like, I'm honestly thinking like. I hate, the, I hate you. But um, back to like Matt. But Matt only has like a hundred. He only has like 140 characters to like explain something. So I'm just happy we gave him the platform to go talk for five, ten minutes about a specific subject. You know, he really he went in depth. I loved it. I loved the whole experience. <laughs> yeah, like it was. It was nice to give Matt like a like at the time of the interview. Like I think we were the. I guess the first recorded interview after the finale where he was able to give his thoughts so like he was able to like unload a bit which was great and uh I I know you guys like I I'm glad you guys enjoyed the interview cuz like during that interview during that hour like Nick and I were like freaking out <laughs> like we were because yeah, we, yeah. we couldn't type on our keyboards because like it would pick the sound would pick up so we were just like messaging each other like through our phones and uh i guess for those of you who don't know like we we asked matt for like for 90 minutes 
and you know Matt uh, like he only had time for an hour. So then that already like whatever notes we had, like we already we had to like chop stuff out <laughs> already. Like right like right in the yeah. first minute we were chopping stuff off. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Like so before we get oh, into man. like before we get into that stuff like um I, the the test question that we gave him for like to test our audio. We we asked him about the uh, the graphic novel series Bone by Jeff Smith because we knew he Matt was a f- fan. Myself and Nick we're both fans of that that series. If you haven't read it, check it out. It's like a lot of uh, like amph- like Amphibia is like Amphibia is inspired by a lot of like works, but uh, there's some very clear like uh, references or story story structure elements that were taken from the yeah. bone series and uh what what nick you can you can tell why don't you tell us like what what we we asked matt yeah first. yeah we, we asked him you know um which of the bone cousins is his favorite and like a chad like an absolute beast <laughs> he said phony so i mean like that's what i knew there's like a mental connection between me and matt right there because he's my favorite too like i love him like like I'm not, I'm not even gonna spoil it for you guys. But he's like the fucking funniest character in the whole series. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like I thought. I still remember when we first realized how similar these two, like these two uh stories are. Like I think it was like our snow day recording where we just, I don't know. One of us suddenly brought a bone, and we were like, "Hey, wait a minute." Yeah, it was like, like why is yeah, this a, we, yeah. We, I, Nick and I we didn't realize we were we both were fans of the same like book series until like during like a podcast recording we were like oh it reminds me of like how you guys heard bone and then nick was like bone did you say bone <laughs> and then we like went on a tangent but for, for context i think yeah. we should provide the context first um the bone graphic novel series is about three uh three very cartoonish uh characters who, who are cousins um ended up end up in this like medieval fantasy world with like warring factions between like giant rat monsters and dragons and humans and uh and like uh the the writer of the series uh jeff smith he like wrote he wrote to matt after amphibia ended like praising like like he watches the show and he was a fan of the end like fan of the series and then matt told jeff smith like oh like thanks like i ripped off i ripped it all off from you <laughs> like yeah like it's literally like when you just like literally everything like it's, it's like when you just break it like i don't know like the story structure how season one works man just copy it off like what like like the first three three issues <laughs> of first first three volumes of bone like Literally, it's it has the same exact setup. Like, <laughs> like, like, like phone, he, like phone bone. He's trapped in the village. He can't, he can't leave because the mountains are frozen over. You can't get, you can't possibly get it past that. It's literally the same damn thing. And like, and it it has like this. Oh my god! Like it's, I don't know. Like I'm telling you guys, like that fantasy slice of life. When that's done right, it is magical. Like there's just something so, so seductively entertaining about that kind of setting when it's just given justice 
Also, yeah, holy shit. I, I just saw a shout out to Amulet from yeah. <laughs> I was like, Yo, you guys read Amulet too? Like, yeah. there's still one more book that's coming out. Like, yeah, dude, we've been waiting for so long. Yeah, we've been waiting for so long for that next book. Like, I keep checking, trying to make sure I didn't miss like the release. But yeah, like luckily, like I have like cousins younger than me who are like going through the same stages. So it's like they're the ones reminding me that a book is out because like that series started when I was like when I was like really young. <laughs> yeah, no, straight up, man. Like I, I, <laughs> I, I grown up. Waiting for that last book to come out. Like, when was what was the latest one? I need, I need to check. It's been more than a decade for sure. I, like, it's been more than holy, like fifteen I, years. I fell off. Yeah, <laughs> holy, because I, I fell off, man. I, because I, I remember, I remember getting some, getting um the first few books in elementary school, and like, fuck me, I'm twenty now. It's, it's been a while. Let me, let me check. Yeah, but you know, like wiki. that that Matt interview. So it's like. <laughs> Nick and I like we we spend weeks like every day. It's like we okay, let's we gotta add something on for Sprague like to talk about Sprague or talk about Polly, and then we ask like the chat like, oh, what should we do? And then like, then Matt's like, yeah, I can only do an hour. Sorry, guys. And then like Nick and I are just like, all right, we gotta scrap this, yeah. we gotta scrap that. Like, they were like, oh, you gotta scrap this. We gotta, we gotta scrap this. We gotta keep the Polly like, stuff in, and it's like, yeah. And then, like, <laughs> even mid-conversations, like, we were, we were, like, structure a time where it's like, okay, like, we've been talking about Polly for about, like, five or seven minutes now. It's like, okay, it's time. We gotta, like, wrap this up, move on to the next conversation, and, like, but, you, yeah, it's just there was a lot of planning, and, like, a lot of, like, <laughs> like, the moment Matt, like, talked about something vaguely familiar to something we'll talk about later... We just like okay, we can. For example, Matt, like when we were talking about Hop Hop, like he brought up Leaf, and how that was planned from the start. And then like we, Nick and I, were immediately okay, we can scrap off, we can scrap that topic that we had planned later on, because we were rushing. Because the, the the final few questions, those were like the meaty, like the meaty ones where yeah, like the mm. and even Yuck. Matt, even Matt was like, oh, I, I'm saving this for like this question later. So yeah, like, okay, yeah, time yeah. For this. And like. <laughs> Like, we were cutting it close, man. Like, yeah, we were we were running out of time there. I mean, like, it, I, I was kind, I was really afraid we weren't gonna get to that. But like, I don't know. It it, it was great. I don't know. It's awesome. I feel, it's just, man. Looking back, I feel like we we sort of were. Were we the first group to sort of like get Matt to like? Yeah, right. Because I don't think I don't think Matt had like an interview or any articles before us about the ending right no. about like him yeah we were the first people like that just gave him the chance to really pop off and like yeah i don't know i mean not the twitter on horns but i i don't know i'm just happy for matt that he got to do with like you know a group of passionate fans like, course, like again i'm not trying to like you know brag but it's just like you know like i i feel like creators they just love doing that more than um you know just the just the same interviews i just asked like White frogs, you know what I mean? Like, like stuff like that. So, I don't know. That was really awesome. Yeah, sort of like be I think like I might that, even that that we popped off on that one. Yeah, no, we did. Yeah, no, because I, I was like, just I was holding in that joke for so long, like just to tell him, like, oh, you want founder of found family? Like, I, I've been like waiting <laughs> to pop that off for months, dude. Like, I, I, I got, then I got to do it. Like, it was so exhilarating. Then, like. 
Oh, and then I also got to give him shit for, like, torturing Sprig like that. I mean, he's like, yeah, we got to teach Sprig to let Ang go. Then he, like, murders Ann in front of them. And then he forces them to be apart for the rest of their lives. Like, Yo, I was like, so happy. I knew I had, I had to go for that, too. I was so happy with we were able to get... I was... I think my favorite part of the interview was him talking about Sprig. Because I know that's something that's been... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like... You, you know, like, we don't... Sprig is like 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 Matt said. Sprig's a kid, and then we we got to give like Matt the chance to like kind of like talk about Sprig like in depth, which I know is like you don't really see much from the fandom. Yeah, like no, that was just really exciting to see because I know even even within our own spaces, you know, we sort of had those back and forth debates about how Sprig shouldn't be him, like because we we're thinking like. Does he deserve an arc? Because I know, like a lot of us, just like just try to argue that, like you know, he's he's the main character, but he's more like supposed to be supportive to like the more complex characters in the cast, right? Just sort of force that development out of them anytime they try to project their problems onto them and stuff, right? But yeah, no, it was like I fixated myself to that thought, but then to have Matt give this whole series wide summation of what they really just planned for spring like dude that was amazing yeah that was just absolutely yeah like one of the best moments on the podcast because he was just it's like the planters man even i thought even i thought like i understood the planters like a hell of a lot but like you know that made me realize too yeah that in some ways i did underestimate them no even like i don't know i just hope moments like that just sort of screw out to the fan of that like you know don't lowball them Right, like don't low, don't lowball them. You know, don't underestimate them because there is a surprising level of thought placed on them that people don't realize. You know, just you know, because it's I don't know. I guess it's easier to appreciate an exploration of toxic friendships. Like I don't blame them for doing that. Of course, you know, like I feel like we do have like a lot of like family based cartoons, but like you know, I think for me. I'm just completely satisfied by the fact that Amphibia is, you know, one of the very exceptional ones. I think, like, I will say, though, that I, I, I do think the fandom has talked a little bit more about Sprig ever since the ending occurred. Because I think that was the point where people were like, oh, shit, like, <laughs> oh, why this relationship was so, like, crucial to the show. So I, I will say that I think the fandom yeah. talked about Sprig a little more, but I do like your observation on like the fandom does like to talk more about like the relationship between Anne, Sasha, and Marcy. You know, usually I feel like in in media that that usually happens with like I'm not sure how fully true this is. This take might be bad, but like usually like the more toxic and more confident. The relationships with more conflict are usually talked about more in fandoms than ones that don't. I feel like that's yeah. usually the case. So it's like, but the planters, they have conflict with each other. But the whole point is that it's supposed to be Anne's like healthy relationships. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, and with Sasha and Marcy, there's always beef with them all the time. So it's like, there's always more to chew on there. For for the fan base as a whole, but once again, 
once Anne and Sprig separated, I think there was more talk about Sprig, his importance in the show, just a little bit more, a little bit. So yeah, hundred percent. It, it's yeah. It was like I, I feel like that's why I never. Like I'll go like, oh come on guys, let's talk about the plant first. Come on, like let's talk about the tree first. Like I'll, I'll do that, but I'm like, I think the reason why I, I never truly get mad is just it's understandable why. I mean, like you know, there's a reason why people say like, oh I really love a good villain, or I really like when the heroes are get this guys or bad. <laughs> like like well, like like there's a reason why something like that said. There's a reason why Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul. Or The Sopranos, or, or I don't know, I'm going to throw in The Wire. There, 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 there's a reason why those shows do so well, right? Like, the, it's like that, so, it's unique. Do you have a protagonist that is kind of a scumbag? You know, that's very unique when it comes to storytelling. Like, usually, like, you know, you, you just have your heroes. And so, while I think, like, you know, Anne and the Planters, like, this is an excellent cast of heroes. Like, I can understand why someone might be more attracted to, like, you know, this more anti-heroism of like Sasha Marcy it's like always understandable to me but shit like now I forgot what else we were talking like what was it oh yeah Sprig yeah Sprig like dude I it will always be burnt into my mind like I I don't think there was like you guys remember, remember all that fan art like that was burnt into my mind and like the explosion of fan art between Anne and Sprig, that happened after the hardest thing will always be like etched into my mind. Like it, I felt so moved, but also miserable at the same time of just how creative a lot of these artists could get and how they depict just like, should I call it tragedy? Should I call it like, I don't know, like, like do I call it tra- like just. It, it was beautiful. Like, I think that's what it can at least call it. Like, it was beautiful. Just everything I saw from it. I think that was like the day I was the most impressed by the fandom. Just what they could come together and put out that day. Oh my God. Like, I, that, I was blown away. Like, I just, I'd refresh the tag on Twitter and there would just be something amazing there to see. I mean, like, I think my favorite one, it's still like, shit, let me see if I can find the artist, but like, yeah, I think it's the one where um, Sprague, I think, yeah, I think it's the one where, like, you have a younger version of Anne and Sprague, you know, holding each other, and then to the right, you have an older, an older Anne, like, holding, you know, like the, like the, like the, the Earth Frog version of Sprague or whatever, like, it, it, it that, that broke my heart, like, if anything broke my heart, it was that, just beautiful stuff, like, if I could find the artist, I just want to, like, give them a shout, like, literally right now. Let me let me just pull up. Like I, I'm, I'm not waste anyone. I don't want to waste any more time. But let me go find it. I'm kind of. I, I'm. I'm. Oh, it. When we, I can't. Like I can't pronounce it. It's like any any we you I can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should just give us the spelling. I'll, I'll just like I'll just put it. I'll also put it into the comment. Um, it's like n n n. You why why I I bro the fuck, but no thank you for making that. This was beautiful. You almost made, you honestly you made me cry when I saw this. So screw you, but also thank you. And I guess uh, trying to think of what other interview stuff we can talk about. 
I mean, like, we did talk to Matt before and after the recording. That stuff's whatever. Uh, <laughs> Rip. <laughs> Sorry. But, uh... Oh, no, 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 it's fine. I, I, was, I thought it was funny. That's, uh... Listen, I, I gotta go on my tangents. I gotta go on my multiple the, tangents, so I'm, like, I'm, I'm good. Like, th- that's the uh, po- podcast host and guest confidentiality. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah. I will say I'm kind of glad... I, I don't know how I feel about... You know how we... You know how when we... Every time these interviews came out... There was always some sort of like strong reaction from Twitter. Ah, yeah. And mm. you know, for 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 our interview, it was like, okay, we were very Hell careful yeah. about like making sure that this interview was like fair to Matt, and we didn't really want to like give him a question that was like that would leave him in like a uncom- uncomfortable position to answer regarding like canon or whatever but like you know this interview came out and you know like twitter was like <laughs> it was like dead silent compared to other interviews which which makes sense yeah literally we, yeah. we designed it to avoid yeah. that and we intentionally kind of like because we were trying to cover new ground we that means we didn't really talk much about marcy and sasha unless it was with like except for one question where we like kind of asked like oh okay like why'd you focus on the planners and Anne instead of like Sasha and Marcy and then that's where Matt gave that like really like beautiful answer about like why Anne is the lead character of the show and but yeah it was like it was like tumbling (laughs) which I'm kind of glad which means like we didn't have to deal with anything like yeah I mean yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that. Like, it, it was pretty funny. I don't know, like, because we, we were we we were sort of expecting that silence from Twitter when we were talking about like the planters. But like, I want a part of me like wanted to be wrong. Had hope in a way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wanted to be wrong. Like, I was like thinking like, hmm, maybe discussion of them. But then, you know, let, let's let's give a shout out to um. Uh, what what do they name themselves like Marcia Regina Wu? I think that yeah, Marcia Regina Wu. I'm pretty sure yeah, she 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 talked about it. Yeah, or, Avery, uh, Avery actually, I, don't, I, don't, I don't I don't know I don't know they they could have been she or they. Oh, the funny the funniest know. shit was that like Avery like made like a comment about the about like Polly like on the podcast and that got like more likes than me than we got views. Yeah, we, we have fucking <laughs> what what did we get like ratio by fucking like, indirect by ratio. <laughs> Reg ratio, like, 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 oh man, yeah. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, and that was uh, funny. Like unorthodox, something talked about it. The unorthodox individual, the YouTube channel. Yeah. yeah, they they made a tweet about like the Gravity Falls comparison that Matt mentioned at the end, and. Yeah, so there wasn't like complete like radio silence. There was some. Yeah, the, the, there was some stuff, some stuff. But like we said, man, we didn't do it for the views, though. Like it, it's it's like it's a passion project. Oh, absolutely. No, yeah. it's like a passion project that got like the best 
sort of conclusion it ever could have. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, not the tour of horns, but it's just, damn. You know, you just 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 going from like talking about new episodes, speculating, breaking down what we love about the show to, you know, just getting this opportunity to talk to the show creator, right? Like that's, you know, incredible. I think that's pretty amazing for a podcast to do. Like it doesn't happen all the time, so, you know, it, I don't know, it just makes me feel proud that it happened with us. So, yeah, like I wouldn't like, you know, I just have to thank everyone here too, you know, it's just Damn, you know, you guys helped elevate the podcast more and more. You know, you just helped us really just keep pushing ourselves, always try and make it better, right? And, like, I think, you know, that's also what helped us prepare to talk to Matt, you know? So, yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, like, and I wouldn't, like, I didn't care about, like, the recognition. I just wanted to talk about the show and then... If, if if that wasn't entertain like if that wasn't fun to do, then I wouldn't have spent like over a year, almost two years, like talking about the show, like every spend my week my weekend nights. <laughs> yeah. Well that's sweat, blood and tears. All those weekends sacrificed. All but those podcasts, weekend with friends, right? Yeah. Hey, work out. Yeah, I remember like like this is some behind the scenes stuff for the podcast, but the show like shit. No, we we no. So like we 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 like cover an episode until like I don't know. Say say for me and Thumb, we all have different time zones, but like it would end up being like I don't know, like say like twelve a.m. by the time we're done, and then we'd stay up for another two hours just talking about the fucking show. Like I, it, it it was I don't know. Like we we would still have that spell. We'd be still be in that mood, and then we just keep going and going and going and going talking about the show or our experience of it, like what we love about it, or our thoughts, like all that kind of stuff. And especially I mean, we had to do this. Know, that's, oh, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Okay. No, 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 no. I mean like that, that, that was all I got. Okay. Like, and especially like when the show was like on air, like we spent the Friday nights, like discussing and then actually watching the episode. And then the next day, <laughs> the next night, Yeah. I think I mean, also damn. COVID was kind of like, we, we couldn't go out for that. First. Yeah. 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 Yeah, wow, you know, I just, I don't know, it's just, it's just, looking back, like, damn, I don't know, it's just, you know, it's just the, wow, you know, I'm just thinking now, like, you know, the dedication we gave to it, holy shit, you know, that, that just, damn, you know, when you, when you just think about, like, Frogs, the Frog Show, man, like, that was, that was, the Frog Show was love, life, all that shit for, like, so long. I mean, I, 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 uh, yeah, I, I know it's because of COVID, but like, damn, you know, like we just it, seriously, like when you break it down like that, Thom, like it's blown my mind just how much time we gave to it. I, was, I, I don't regret a damn thing if I'm being honest. Like, I felt, I felt like every single second I spent with it was worth it because you know, I, I made a lot of good friends. I spent a lot of time just being able to be passionate because i feel like that's you know like i feel like that's just something you can't really take for granted you know when you just have that chance to really just give that time to something you love you cherish develop it you know that that kind of stuff you shouldn't just take for granted you shouldn't just throw it away leisurely like it's that's wonderful like i, I honestly I, I don't regret a single second i gave to it like i, I loved like i i look 
back at the, 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 you know, the choice, that one day I, I decided, hey, let's go talk about Amphibia on like, uh, Amphibia on, on the, like, the Discord server. Like, I, I look back at that as a fond memory, as like, as like one of the best choices I ever made in my life. Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, I'm just happy to how the podcast grew. Yeah, thanks, Nick. And I think we can end off, we can finish, I guess, kind of talk basically gloating about our interview we can we can go into the uh yeah pixelotl i'm gonna bragging pixelotl uh expo and uh i guess like sticks you you were able yeah, to we, actually go like fly down there and you got to attend the conference like can you just give us a little bit of information of, like what this event was about and what you got to do there okay so general background then mm, well uh, I, uh, I'll be honest, I wasn't extremely sure uh, when I first heard of it. Um, uh, going as far back as possible, uh, when I only first heard of this event, um, when uh, it came about uh, from the Twitter account of the event that Matt was going to attend and give a conference, and I was like, what is this? Uh, I thought Matt was done uh, doing interviews for the moment. I'm surprised he would come to a whole entire thing. Um, but then I just, you know, had to do research. Uh, I was interested since it's in Mexico and, well, I live here. Um, and it's essentially like a Mexican version of Lightbox Expo or any other animation-focused uh, events. Uh, and when I say animation focused, I mean as an industry, you know, uh, industry professionals come, um, as well as uh, animation students. Uh, most of the uh, people who weren't workers uh, that I saw or that I interacted with, at least, were looking to get into animation or were studying it. Uh, I'm studying it, too, uh, in college right now. Um, so that's essentially it. It's a... A place, an event, uh, similar to Lightbox, if you're all familiar with that, uh, where people from the industry come and they do networking and they do panels and conferences. Uh, and also, of course, there's some fandom stuff uh, that qualifies for Matt. And also, uh, Dana Terrace was there, Alex Hirsch was there, Ian Worrell, uh, our director of Gravity Falls and Amphibia, of course, was there. Uh, several other people involved in many other shows. I think even um, a director for uh, the Dark Crystal. Ooh. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, it was very varied. It was very stacked. Uh, there was a lot of focus uh, on you know local productions, Mexican animation, which was very very nice to get to see. Um, but there was also a very strong presence of you know international. Uh, attendees and and invitees such as Matt, of course. So that's essentially what the event was about. Thank you, Sticks. And I know you were able to attend like um, Matt Matt's uh, panel, and like I heard he gave like a bunch of like he was basically breaking down his journey in uh, as an executive producer on Amphibia and like. I think what was the I forgot the name the topic of his whole presentation like ten tips on like show yeah I think it was like yes yeah yes. It was a, yeah ten things I learned from Amphibia right yeah yeah 
You know, but just really exciting stuff, man. I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, damn. You know, just because what what I what I did like about the panel was it wasn't. Well, yeah, because like what I heard from the panel and from and um from from six, it, it, yeah, it, it was just like really very like very 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 industry related. You know what I mean? Like instead of just like focusing on like you know like like the contents of the shows, it was just because yeah, I, I, God, you know, I I just love stuff like that because you because from what I've learned, you know, it, it's already extremely, di- if you're in America, it's already like, you know, very difficult to break into the industry. But then when you're from like a foreign country, right? Where you have to like, well, Nick, where it's, 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 not for, just it's about... foreign for you. <laughs> well, no, but you know what I mean, though. We're talking about like, the, we're, we're talking about the, the animation industry. That's in LA. I'm in Ohio. You know what I mean? I'm, so, I'm, I'm, it's just it's a matter of moving states, right? Well, like someone from Mexico or something. Like, I'm, I'm, this was in Mexico, right? Like, don't. <laughs> I just, yes. I, 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 I'm terrible at the name. I'm terrible at naming all the countries down there. Like, don't. I just like Mex. I'm just like Mexico, Brazil, everything else. Like, I don't know. But um, <laughs> yeah, like like this. You know, it's not just a matter of moving states for people in like Brazil or Mexico. Like, it's it's about like, fuck, man, getting like, moving out of the country, move, then moving to the um, America. And then also having to deal with the fact that, like, L.A., I mean, Jesus Christ, fucking financial nightmare around there. Like, like, holy shit. Like, $10, wait, what was it, like, $10 per gallon of gas? I mean, Jesus Christ. Like, just just throw your wallet at the at the gas station clerk and just leave at that point. You know what I mean? Like, holy shit. But, yeah, it, it is insane. Like the lifestyle changes people from foreign countries have to make to get in the industry. So like I'm just so goddamn happy they got all these people from the industry to come here and inspire them and invigorate them. Because I feel like it's when you have that hope in yourself to change yourself, like that is I don't wanna say that's all you need, but dude, that that that's like the base of the, that's really just the base you need for yourself. Because once you have that idea of self-improvement, you know, it just it just it comes to it just comes down to you learning how to do it, right? And that's just how it's all done. Yeah, and I'm trying to... I'm looking over this, the notes that uh, Sticks sent. Like, I really like that point four about, like, finding a North Star and, like, for Matt and for Amphibia, definitely it was Anne being that like north star that that thing to always look to while determining like the the direction of the show yeah holy oh, dude like and oh like, oh sorry sorry like, see, you're about to nah, you sorry. go ahead you go ahead no i was going at least looking five minute rants every time i talk but um i'll, I'll keep it quick though it's just fuck i mean and every time i just think about and dude she feels like a I feel like she's gonna be an an icon. Like, there's just something different about like they put. It's like they put a hundred and ten percent into everything about Anne when they're developing her as a character. I mean, like what Matt said, she was that she is his most proudest character, his best character you ever could have conceived, right? And fucking Boonchoy, dude. Or no, sorry, I should say Anne Savica Boonchoy. You know, but it's. I hope she just goes down as iconic because I feel like she just deserves like it, it's just the idea that she was this North Star like 
everything he directed the series towards. Like, he kept her in his sights. He made sure everything was perfectly, like, you know, weaved for her. And I don't know. It's just incredible to think about that because I, I feel like you normally, you know, don't hear that from main characters. I mean, like, it's, it's already incredible enough that the main character of their own show managed to be, like, you know, one of the most popular characters, but I mean, not only what you hear, just the side characters take over, right? Like, it's usually not even, like, the main characters who, who get to be the most popular in a fandom, because, like, I'm, if I'm being honest with you, like, a lot of times they they aren't that interesting. They, like, they just aren't that, they're just not that interesting, and then you just, I don't know, like, I, I'm just proud. I'm just proud that I, that I got to see this, just this about character that um, I'm, I'm, I'm saying right now, they're going to be iconic. I'm, I'm bad enough. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I think uh, Sticks got disconnected. Oh, yeah. Th- yeah I think I got, yeah. But I guess we can also talk about... Uh... Oh, Sticks, you're back. Oh, so... good, Sticks. Yeah, sorry. Uh, my internet is not super stable. Sorry about that. Um, just in general, uh, just to uh, let everybody know who's listening, um, uh, Matt kind of did two panels or well two talks uh one is the one that uh you know that was public uh that there was a recording for um uh, the essentially 10 things that he learned while making the show and the other was a more closed off more uh, informal much more private uh, talk that was there was only like two or two dozen people there listening it was very, very exclusive, and it was uh, the 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 places there were essentially the seats there were essentially uh, sorted out. It was by pure dumb luck that I managed to get one, and I'm also gonna talk a bit about what he discussed there. Um, so yeah, get ready for that. I think we're all sitting down. Whenever you're ready, sticks. We're, we're ready to. Yeah, we're all ready. Yeah, we're ready to, shit, like go. I'm, I'm getting comfy in my chair. Got my got my Podcast flask of water. Exclusive <laughs> <deep>. <laughs> I'm guess I'm gonna go ahead and guess that you want to talk about the uh, more private talk first. Uh, whatever, whatever you, whatever you, you want. It's it's your <laughs> your your you are our our, our well, guy okay, on the inside. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna ease into it with the uh, the ten things that Matt talked about. Uh, in general, that whole uh, big panel that he made it was so fun. I'm just I've just gotta say, uh, it's probably the most enthusiastic and excited and energetic I've seen Matt like ever, and I feel that says something. Um, he was so pumped up, so visibly, almost kind of, I, I feel he was almost shaking a bit. Uh, perhaps it was anxiety, I mean, I would relate, but I feel it was just pure unfiltered passion. Um, and yeah, the 10 things that Matt learned from Amphibia. Well, the first one, of course, is delegating. My god, he really, really, really stressed this point. Uh, it's the first one, but he really stressed it. Uh, micromanaging when it comes to animation essentially really sounds like it's not something that's possible. It's not just not recommended. It's not possible. You need to let others on your team to 
just do what they're supposed to do. You cannot do everything by yourself. And that's kind of related to the second point, that is, showrunning is a people job. Um, but let's stay on the first one for now. Um, every time that I see any crew member, anybody who had any level of details on the crew and their inner workings, really stress how much of a great boss Matt is. And I want to believe that a big part of that is that he just has trust in his team. And it just, it, it just, it just shines through the entire show, you know? Um, it really feels that, well, perhaps this is the most um, obvious example for anyone who's interested, uh, who is already interested in uh, crew art. But just, for example, it almost feels like whenever there's a there's a certain scene, it feels like, oh, I have a feeling that this or this other person um, storyboarded for it. Uh, for example, the heavy, amazing action scenes. Oh, that's got to be in Ball, in Balbreda, for example. And I just feel that that's just, it just shows in, in the show itself. It's just visible that he trusted his team and he just was there to be, you know, a boss, but not just a boss, a leader. Someone who, you know, delegated. Yeah, that's the word. That's really just the word for it. That's just how it's, that's just how I describe it. And it's great. No, like, ah, uh, see that, like, 110% of that, like, yeah, it, it's, I feel like that's, like, like, based off what I've learned about, like, the pipeline, I feel like, the, like, the idea of delegation when it comes to your team, I feel like that, yeah, that really is an important the lesson to know, because it's, like, once you just look into what it takes to make, like, anything animated like you realize just like all the different layers of production that needs to happen i mean it i can't even break it down here because like you know that there's just like a lot that goes on like you know it's insane right like it's and god i don't know i think for me it feels even more magical that it happens compared to like live action shows because it's sort of just like like you set everything up then you take out your camera and you hit record but then like when it comes to animation i mean like it just starts with that base idea and then you take that to a script and then you take that script to like your boards and then like yeah then like you, you, you then like you gotta have your backgrounds and you have to have like like you gotta have your layouts and it's just literally just everything that comes together to somehow make this animated product i mean like it feels like it comes out of nowhere sometimes like it's insane yeah and like one thing i really liked about it too was like Matt's been in the industry for quite a little while before he got a long time, pretty good amount of time before he got into Amphibia. So I like the fact that like, no matter where you are, like creatively in your journey, you're always going to learn something new. Cause Matt first didn't like, I think he said like he didn't in season one, he didn't really like trust his crew enough. So he was micromanaging everything all the time. But by, like, two and three, he kind of got a vibe where he could, where he was trusting his team more, and he had to micromanage less. I don't know. That's really interesting, like, especially since, you know, like you guys said, like, animation is such, like, a big thing. <laughs> you know, it takes, like, a whole, it takes a village to make a show, right? So, like, yeah, 
I don't know. That was interesting. Yeah, no, yeah, it really was. I mean, think about. I think it also. Yeah, like I, I, I do remember just hearing Matt talk about how. I think it's like a while back. I think in an interview where he said, like, yeah, back in season one, he used to like, you know, sort of like watch over the writing team and how they're handling episodes. And in season two, he just said he completely stepped back and just let them go ham. And yeah, I don't know. That, that's just awesome to see. Like, even because I, I, I see like a lot of people they treat like getting a show being like the end all be all. You know what I mean? Like the sort of end of your journey. But like, even when he did get that, you know, he still had like lots of stuff he had to learn while doing the job and. Yeah, and that, that helps make Amphibia what it is. And it also, like, is the question, like, what'll he make next? What'll the, the crew members go on to make? What can, like, the fans grow up to make? Sort of, like, yeah, like, oh. That's always hard one. Oh, no, but sorry. Keep, keep going. Sorry, I interrupted you. That, that, was, that, was, that was what I was going to say. Uh, but, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, thinking about that kind of stuff is just hard one because it's sort of, like, you know what I mean? It, it's, like... Because, like, you know, you, because people already, you know, sort of talk about, like, you know, Gravity Falls alumni, but then just, like, you know, imagine Fimia alumni, you know, like, what, what kind of stuff do the writers learn from the time in there? The board artists, like, like, I don't know, you, you just get excited thinking about what they'll get up to. Then it's also just, like, all the people who grew up watching these kind of shows, you know, like, I wonder what that generation will put out themselves, you know, how, how like, what inspirations do they take from just besides those shows, right? That they're going to combine with like you know what they took from these shows, like just like what are we going to see out there? Like that's that kind of stuff is always exciting to think about. I'm looking at the next slide for the, for these like ten, ten things, and it has it has uh, the JRP JRPGs Ooh. are like a great story structure. It shows Marcy getting stabbed and like Sethroth stabbing. That Final Fantasy character, like Sticks, do you care to elaborate what what's going on in this image? Oh, this was essentially just Matt completely <laughs> gushing about JRPGs, but specifically about the writing in them because um, uh, I'm, I'm I'm essentially paraphrasing him, quoting him, um, but he really seems to have been deeply, deeply influenced, uh, deeply touched. Uh, by how oh, games of this genre, this subgenre, more more like. Uh, sorry about that. Um, uh, and how more than anything, they focus. Uh, well, maybe not all of these uh, have phenomenal writing all around. Um, I wouldn't really know. Uh, personally, but he focused on how the all of these games really, really, really care about getting you to care about their characters, so that then whenever something, <clears throat> who could it be? I don't know. Something not great happens to them. You feel that. You feel that at your very core, and he essentially pays a lot of respects to all the developers and writers and everyone who has essentially contributed to games like this. Um, he's already talked before in the past how, um, you know, uh, Sephiroth killing uh, Aerith uh, deeply, deeply inspired uh, certain events that happened to Marcy. Uh, <laughs> Wonder why. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, 
something something to do with uh, a stabbing i don't know i don't know i wouldn't be sure you know i'm not sure but yeah um that that's that that uh seeing that happen like live uh people people pretty much just erupted uh the audience that was there was like no of course because it's you know it's that scene from true colors but i really felt that people really took away um what matt was saying here um that uh, this is related to another point much later on in the talk but about how much characters matter and how much it matters that you need to care about them yeah, and I think that leads yeah. into the yeah. like I the think... the fourth and fifth points as well, where it's like Anne is the North Star of the story, and then number five was just like characters are everything. Yeah. I think like I don't know, Amphibia has like always give me vi- always given me video game vibes. I couldn't like I could pinpoint some references, like obviously the temples very zelda like but like something about the structure of the show always gave me game vibes and i couldn't tell exactly what it is until like i saw that slide i'm like yes i i don't know like especially when matt talked about like the ups like the upscaling of stakes in the show itself like of like amphibia starts very small like you're just starting in Warpwood and nothing crazy is really happening. And then eventually when you get like the end of the show, you're fighting God, you're fighting the core. I love that. So I don't know, like that was great. Oh yeah, absolutely. Amphibia has always really had also in, like in my eyes, a, a video game feel. And yeah, it was kind of difficult to pinpoint exactly what, but you know, seeing this slide, as you say, it really puts it all in perspective. It's like, oh, everything just clicks. Um, because, yeah, that, that sort of structure of, you know, the character, they're in this world. Uh, at first, first season, you know, they start to get familiarized, kind of like a player, you know, gets to know the mechanics of a game. And then after enough time, after they've become accustomed enough, they, they start branching out. They get the opportunity to... Uh, explore, to travel, to journey out, of course, that's season two, and then, you know, get more and more challenges along the way. Uh, and that's just, that. that's so clearly to me a video game thing, I, I, and I love how we are, th- this is a wider, more general thing, but I love how we are getting shows really nailing that, that feeling that video games can, you know, kind of give out without being so overtly like a copy or a direct parody or anything um it's great and it makes me feel very excited to see what else you know may come uh in future years for you know shows like this yeah oh man i don't know it's man i yeah what i just love okay yeah yeah this is connected yeah this is connected to it but like i don't know it's 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 funny how, like, you know, in the 2010s, you know, we, we just had, like, tons of, like, story-driven shows that started off as episodic and then leaned toward, like, you know, serialized elements, sort of, like, finding that middle ground, right, to tell that big story they always wanted to, but also just staying true to, like, what they originally promised. And 
I don't know. It, it was really interesting to have Matt sort of look at that in like a like a meta sort. Of, if that makes any sense, like, and and to admit that he took and he was to admit that he was inspired by that and and like just try to base the whole show around that. And I don't know. It, it's really awesome to hear that he intentionally went from like, you know. Basically, finding a chicken to killing God in the, like the last mission. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of stuff that people always joke about of RPGs. Like that's literally amphibia. Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah. You yeah, can yeah, especially yeah. see the 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 Legend of Zelda inspiration in it with the there's the the like sort of Triforce Triforce inspired trio of like powers with with wit, strength, and heart, and of course Majora's Mask had some. Obvious ties mm-hmm. in the ending. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, 100,000%. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Mm. And then, well, well, we're basically around halfway of all the points. Um, uh, I really want to just highlight and really, really, really stress this point that Matt also really stressed, and that's number five. Characters are literally everything. And they, they are. They are. You can imagine what he talks about here um, quite easily. I mean, it's right there. It's right there in the name. Characters are everything for a story where an audience is supposed to get invested in, to, when they're supposed to care, when, um, when this is a world with people living in it. You need to really... Care, take care as a showrunner, as a crew member, as a creator, as part of anything, as any kind of storyteller, you need to seriously, seriously, seriously do a lot of justice to your characters. Because, like, this is just an example, but, um, let's say you, you, let's say, let's take, let's say you make the most lush, the most well-realized uh, fictional setting, the most incredibly detailed world with all these places and all these uh, timelines and all this lore and this and that but at the end of the day if you don't have really that spark with the characters well you don't really have a story you you have an encyclopedia and I mean that can be good too don't get me wrong the the Silmarillion for Lord of the Rings fans that exists after all but <laughs> characters, <laughs> characters matter, man. They just matter. Yeah. They are the heart and soul. No, they're like. Well, I feel like solid characters are much, you know, easier to sell to like people because, like, I feel like, you know, they're people, and like we're social creatures, like human beings. You know, we're social people. We, you know, we're empathetic. You now we find it easy to understand. Like, you know, right? We can understand people easier than we can understand, you know, someone who spent, like, 10,000 hours building up this whole lore in the background. I mean, like, bro, you just know not so much. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about when you're, like, like when you go, like, like, I'm not even I've even seen, like, Lord of the Rings. So if you try to explain the Lord of the Rings lore to me, I, I'd, like, fall asleep. But, like, you know, if you're talking about, about Frodo or something, I think, right? That's one of the characters' names. But, no, I mean, all I'm saying is, you know, I feel like, yeah, I gotta leave the characters first. Yeah, now there's, no, now there's gonna be a like hate in the comments. Besides the minute, I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, that's another discussion. <laughs> uh. 
Yeah, that's. I haven't either. I haven't either. Two. Oh, okay. Let's go. Haven't watched the movies. Yeah, haven't watched no. the movies. Haven't read. Uh, read I have not touched any of the books. Like I, I don't. I know jack shit. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I skip before we get more disappointed in Nick, please. <laughs> like, damn, Nick. Like, you know what? No, I'm not gonna. We're, we're, yeah, we're... let's avoid it. It's, it's a safe. That's it's a, a safe space here. <laughs> yeah, that's a topic for uh, in a few hours. Yeah. Hmm. So but, I guess the uh, next point was number six uh, about feedback. Yeah. 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 Um. Well, most much like characters are kind of like the emotional entry point for an audience in a story in a wider world. Um, Matt kind of emphasized here that um, for a storyteller, you need feedback. For a showrunner, you need feedback. For any kind of um, position uh, that he's come to learn in well, while making Amphibia is that, oh my god, holy crap, you need feedback. That that's essentially what pitching boards is for, to see how people react. Do they laugh at the jokes? Do they cry at the sad moments? Um, uh, and the feedback, of course, uh, I'll go into this like a little bit later when we discuss the uh, more private talk. But um, everything from uh, okay. Uh, from like having focus groups, uh, setting up when setting up uh, test audiences to see how they react to an episode, uh, all the way to having you know uh, the entire crew kind of huddle around uh, as the writers reveal the script to you know the boarders kind of pitching their boards. It's all super super important because it brings iteration. And iteration brings chances to improve upon the idea that you have that may already be good, but can be made better. And can be made better. Like, by a lot. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, like, it, I don't know, man. That, that, that's part of just why I just love animation and that sort of like collaborative process of it. Because, yeah, you really. I uh, you know, because you really can't make your best work. Because it, it really isn't something you can just do on your own. I mean, like, yeah, sure. And I know, I know there's, like, you know, those solo YouTube animators. But, like, you know, we're, we're talking about these, like, 100-episode series, right? Like, you can't just do that on your own. Like, you, you need, you know, the whole team in there. And, uh... Well, I was like, oh, the fuck? And... I just... <laughs> don't don't talk about what's right, in the chat now. Um, <laughs> sorry, just, just don't, don't ignore what we're ignore what Nick's reacting to. But uh, things are heating up. Number seven, point number seven. Uh, locations are locations are characters too. Uh, point seven. Locations are characters too. So I, I, before before six before you like before you like talk about that. I just find it interesting how like Amphibia each season had like a different art art director, and I guess that kind of like lends itself to like how like each season has like a little different like 
feel? Feel, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, hmm. uh, in this uh, in this point, Matt talked about like a bunch of different things, but um, essentially, it's pretty much saying that uh, as much as you care about the characters, like if the uh, people making the show do a good job at making you care, then uh, kind of extrapolating that by extension, you're gonna end up caring about where those characters are about. But also, it depends on how well designed that environment is. Um, you know, if the Wardwoodians lived in, I don't know, uh, in literally the middle of nowhere with no personality, no nothing, nothing that added to who they were, it would be. Well, it, it, it would suck. It would completely suck because um, so much of who characters are is incredibly, incredibly dependent on, you know, where they live. The context, uh, the wider context within which they exist physically, culturally, economically, etc., etc., etc. So getting to develop those locations um, is pretty much as essential as, um, well, as developing the characters themselves. Because, like, for example, we see what would change alongside characters. Um, and that's the, it's, mo- it's, it's at its most clear and obvious uh, once, you know, season 3B hits. And, uh, well, if, if the crew hadn't done a good job of making you care about the characters, but also about the place... Uh, seeing what would destroyed, well, that kind of leave no impact. Uh, even if we know that, okay, they're all prob- most likely like safe, it's still upsetting, you know, seeing um, the, the grub and go like in, in pieces and the planter family home and just everything. And when developing a place like Newtopia, well, of course, everything kind of has to change. It's a different context. It requires a, just everything to feel different, but also familiar enough to feel plausible, to not feel like it's completely alien. Unless that's kind of like what you're going for, but uh, that's not the point of Newtopia. It's just a different area of the same world. But then there's, you know, <laughs> L.A., and that is a different world, and it's pretty clear when you take uh, images of Warwood and Utopia and put them besides Amphibious LA, not our LA, Amphibious LA, they manage to make it so that they really do look like they're from the same universe, the same uh, show, even though they're so clearly alien from one another. And they're, of course, similar, too. They're not uh, absolutely different in every regard. But uh, Matt also talked about um, how developing L.A. was particularly challenging because the... um, I don't know if I'm quoting him correctly, but he said that the L.A. they wanted to put on the screen was the kind when you were just, you know, driving around or walking around and you're seeing the palm trees like swing in the breeze in the summer sun and i feel they really really nailed that it feels like la but it's not like it's not a real it's not really a cynical take on la as you could 
quite easily do, or any other kind. It, it, it feels like the city, and it is the city, but it's the kind of city that makes sense for the kind of show that Amphibia is. And I really like that. Uh, yeah, no, that, that was really, yeah, that was really well said, man. I mean, yeah, I didn't even think about that. It, yeah, because usually, yeah, when you see depictions of L.A., <laughs> I mean, Christ, yeah, they're, they're like the worst way you can take it. But here, they gave us just a really beautiful and sweet way to look at it. I mean, like, and, and yeah, it is interesting to think about the sort of context behind all that, right? Because they were like knee-deep in covid right during production and like they really just wanted to focus on like you know the beauty that was outside you know basically their homes that they're forced to be trapped in so god i don't know that's just it, it's it's stuff like that just that just makes me appreciate our time and earth way more yeah and then uh there was point number eight that was uh Time rules all things, so I'm guessing Matt talked about like the time constraints working on the show, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, animation is a it's a labor of many different kinds, but one of the most important aspects of it is managing your time, because not only do you have a set budget uh, that Perhaps, you know, it can be, I, I'm, I'm not really sure how it works in feature or elsewhere, but in TV, it's pretty much set. Uh, that's why, uh, thinking about it now, that's uh, why I believe Matt mentioned before that when they didn't use up all of the budget that they had for season one, that they actually, you know, undershot it. Uh, Disney was like, nope, you need to, uh, you need to use it on something, and that's why, that's why they went for Lean On Me, for getting the licensing for the song for a reunion. And likewise, when it comes to time, if you don't manage your time, you're just, you're screwed. Because these deadlines are, are for real. They are for real, for real. And not only when it comes to production, but also when it comes to, you know, things like pacing uh, that affect the story internally, not only externally, like um, managing... Uh, production. Um, at the end of the day, uh, stories are primarily, mostly, I'd say it's fair to say in general, uh, about, you know, how things or how something may change. And change requires time. And figuring out how to use the time that you have, both diegetically and not, so in the world and outside of it, to tell the story that you want is incredibly crucial. It may be the most crucial thing, honestly, after money. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, not much to say about that. Just reality. Yeah. 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 yeah like, like, oh, man. Oh, no, sorry. Go ahead, Impact. Oh, I was going to say, like, like, I feel like with Amphibia, like, on the topic of time, I feel like Amphibia was a show that always, like, it's an 11 minute show, but a lot of episodes don't feel that way. It felt like they were a lot longer than they were. And not as like a bad thing, as a good thing. Because there's so much packed like into them, especially when we have to deal with like characters that aren't in the show that much, like Andrea, Sasha, Marcy, 
because what the show has to do is get you give you a lot of information really really quickly and i think amphibia has always excelled at that it's never it never felt that constrained by the 11 minute time frame like for each segment at all it always felt like it had enough time to do its thing if there's one show that i know like that does character and introduction so well is this show because just how quickly it can get you to understand who someone is, who that character is, without needing a lot of dialogue. You can just visually show it and tell you everything the audience needs for that character. So it's it's great. Yeah, no, dude, like a hundred and like just hundred and ten percent that. Like it's just because I yeah, I just remember you know. I was literally about to be back the other day, you know, like that was only like fucking ten years ago in twenty ten. Like that's not even that far away, but like, um, I just remember, yeah, seeing the shows like Steven Universe, Adventure Time, regular show, like they were, they were just like really praised for like the emotional stories they're able to tell in like eleven minutes, like all the all the different things they were just able to pack in that eleven minute format, and like, yeah, like it. I feel like yeah, sometimes we just do sort of take for granted how hard that can be, and like. Yeah, honestly, you guys saying all this just makes me realize that yeah, I feel like if anyone wants to, like, you know, get a sense of how to do that, right, to pace things well, to characterize things well, to, like, the to plot things well, to set up things well, like, I said, yeah, look at Amphibia. Look at how Amphibia did it, because there are just, like, so many episodes we can name as examples, like, Sleepover 10 all Sleepovers, like, boom, right there. I mean, Jesus Christ, so many things you can just pick apart in that episode, right, for your own enjoyment, I mean. The corn the king, like. yeah, corn the king, yeah, yeah, literally corn. Gee, like that—that that was like payoff season, like that episode. My God, but um, yeah, just all that, man, all that. <clears throat> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, just, I, I do want to skip uh, to the next point, but honestly, thinking about it, um, yet another way in which season one feels very underrated is just exactly as you mentioned it. It it just does not feel like each episode or well, each segment is 11 minutes. It just cannot be possible. It cannot be possible, but it is. And it's a mastercraft in efficient storytelling. It is honestly... Hmm, I'm, I'm not super sure on this opinion, but it may arguably be the best this show is when it comes to economical efficient storytelling that is also in line with the general expectations that an audience has by the time that they're seeing those episodes. Um, but just, yeah, like, they, they managed to do so much with so little time. Uh, uh, prison Break is 11 minutes long, not even the 13 minutes that Totax got. And I love Totax. Totax is a great episode for Anne. And... Prison Break introduced Sasha, and people love her, and that's because it gave us essentially who she was at the time. It told us everything. Just the scene of Sasha near the end, or, well, at the end, where she's uh, essentially talking to herself and to the picture uh, of her, Sasha, and Marcy, with just that, what, one-minute scene... As a complete stranger to the show, could have a very, very good idea of who she is. And Marcy at the Gates is 22 minutes long. And with it, Marcy went from a next to a complete stranger to a fan favorite. Like, that quickly. 
it's amazing how well they use time in this show. Yeah, and like on Prison Break too, you gotta remember it introduces Sasha and Grime, like and two Grime. characters. Who, yeah, like it has to share that time between both of those characters too. But you instantly know who they are in like one minute. It's only one minute scene where you need to know who they are and how they're gonna change throughout the rest of the episode. It's great. Absolutely. Yeah, and then uh, I guess we can go on to point number nine. So I guess Matt's just talking about like all the. Uh... Actually, I have no idea what this is about. <laughs> okay, okay, this is a good one. This is honestly my favorite of all the points, and that is number nine: loading what apparently the crew called the party cannon. And this is essentially like hmm, this. This is the uh, this. What, what if the checkup's gone, but like big, you know? <laughs> that's that's essentially it. It is packing, essentially readying, loading bullets into your who knows how many hundred big uh, um, load munition for your weapon, for your storytelling weapon, and just getting all those moments like readied, like that you have like in your in your pockets, in your backpack, whatever. Just getting them in and in and in. You know, the build up for uh you know Polly growing her legs for example um the past that the planters have with herons uh you know all the eye flashing scenes of uh the girls' powers and just reading everything to just get it get it loading the cannon just shot and it just goes all at once and that's just it it happens throughout the show you know uh, but True Colors really is the masterclass in doing this. Because so much is set up. Um, I remember this Tumblr post from a very long time ago. Probably like five or six years. That is essentially like... What if there was a show that like was like a Rube Goldberg machine? You know? So like little things happen along the way. Uh, jumps from one thing to another. Just... Little, very very small parts of a giant working contraption that you can't really tell where it's going but once it gets there oh my god <laughs> it all clicks into place and it's also bombastic it's not just Chekhov's gun it's the entire you know Russian military it's all there and it just when it's done well it just hits like Pretty much nothing else. It is peak fiction. No, like I, <clears throat> like I, I, yeah, like I, 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 yeah, I think that that was my favorite slide for Matt because I don't. Know, it just answered the question of like how Amphibia just manages to make like these amazing season finales, right? Like how they're three for three. How like I'm not afraid to say that. Yeah, I think I think. Phoebe has like the best collection of the finales of any show I've ever seen, right? Like, I'm not afraid to say that. And God, you know, that, that, that's because everything you just said sticks. Like, it's, I feel like when I see a lot of finales, like, it's just about plot lines colluding, like, you know, concluding, right? Like, plot lines just coming together. But I feel like Amphibia, right? It's everything they pack into that season. Like, they aren't just thinking of, like, okay, here, here's how we're going to make this plot conclude. No, like, it's like, Hey, here's the characters. Here's multiple. No, like not just one. Here's everyone's character arc for the season. Let's bring that here. 
um, hey, how about those themes we played around with a lot in season two? Let's bring the all ahead of here. Like, hey, here's all that foreshadowing we also did across season two. It's everything coming together in this huge explosive event. I mean, it, it's why when you watch any of these finales, like, you just feel like you feel like why the words exceptional, masterful, masterpiece come to mind. And it's because they do these things. And like, like I said, man, I mean, that deserves to be looked at and studied because th there, there's a reason why every single time one of those finales happen, there is a sudden boom in the phantom, like tons of eyes on it. Because these are amazing pieces of episodes. I mean, Jesus, like a true colors, like... I'm pretty sure it made it into the top 100 episodes list on IMDb not too long ago. I'm pretty sure it's like somewhere in the 70s and 80s right now. Like, I haven't checked, but like, it's that shit happens for a reason. I mean, Amphibian knows what it's. I mean, I, I, mean, I guess it's a past, but not, but Amphibian knew what it was doing, man. 100%. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I think like, that's not like the great thing about season two as a whole is that it's slowly leading to that big moment of True Colors where it just gets to launch everything out. But weirdly enough, I don't... I never got the vibe Season 3 was doing the same thing. Just because, like, like on Earth, for example, I felt like when we left Earth, all the stuff in the party canon for Earth was kind of launched out, and, like, only a handful of, like, Mr. X and the Boon Choys are with each other. And that's really it. Um, I felt like the structure for season three didn't exactly like it wasn't the same as season two, pretty much. Essentially scaling up to like higher and higher, higher points to like the finale. So which isn't like a criticism or anything. It's just like the structure of the show was very different. And like not to like put a negative light on it, I do kind of feel like, weirdly enough, sometimes saving some things like that did get launched on the party canon for like All In and the Beginning of the End made great scenes in those episodes. But like, sometimes I do wish some of that stuff was used more throughout the show, mainly like just Andreas and, and Darcy, like throughout beginning of 3B. Not too much where it's annoying, but like I would have liked if more of the stuff that was in that canon was more separated throughout that second half of season three. So that's it. Yeah, see what you mean. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, because I, I, yeah, I, I guess like to really make sense of. Three in a way of like it's party can so I, I I guess it was all just I, I guess for me I just I always just focus on like you know Anne's development during that time right so we've talked about it a lot and I think I don't know because I feel like it's sort of what helped deliver that scene you know where when they're fighting against the moon right like that point where their friends was reformed right like it was I I I really like I. I just hold on to the idea that we never would have gone to that point if, you know, she didn't go for a whole thing on Earth. But, no, I, I totally get you, man. I feel, I feel like it, it is... It is... different. Yeah, the, how they built up Season 2 versus Season 3, I think there is a big difference. You know, I, I just haven't really thought about it that much, I guess. Yeah. I, I, feel like, I, think, 
I think like Anne's character development definitely comes over from 3A to 3B. But my thing is like, I feel like when we leave Earth, everything pretty much is concisely done on Earth besides the invasion. So like, which is fine. That's not a bad thing. But like, I don't know. I wish like when we get to 3B, the show kind of changes back to that season two style where we're just setting up everything for the finale. But the thing with season three is that it has a lot of things available already. Like Andres and Darcy are kind of chilling out for like until the core and the king in the finale. Uh, yeah. So I always like I wish they showed up more often, you know? It's it's stuff okay, like yeah. that. Where I feel like we had had stuff there to use that wouldn't have made the finale worse. It would have just used the tools that we already have at our disposal. That's all. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, yeah I see I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because it Yeah, they do sort of feel split in a way. I I, I guess. But I feel like yeah, they really did Yeah. Yeah, because it, it really does feel like they are they really are worlds apart when you just hmm. No, I mean I'm not thinking about that more, but like yeah, like I yeah, no, I, 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 I totally understand. What you're yeah, I feel like yeah, this is this would be good. This this would be like we could have like a large longer conversation about this kind of stuff, like if we go into like season retrospective talks in the future. Oh yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. Ooh, but I guess that'd be that'd be good. I, I guess sticks maybe like I, the final point it was take big swings, make crazy choices, have fun, like. I feel like this is more like Matt kind of like wrapping up his, uh, I guess his uh, his presentation. Yeah, like, I mean, I think yeah, I think that's just something that people have to. Damn, I, I love how like I could just go on huge tangents for all this point because I feel like I, I've experienced or learned about like part of what he was saying. But I think yeah, that I think that's something that all storytellers should just remember to do. Like like don't don't be too I feel like yeah, don't be too robotic of your story, man. Just remember that there's to this method, right, to this craft, there's also that sort of madness, right? Like that like that like 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 the passion that sort of drives you to create, right? Like grab that and throw that shit into your story. Like don't I, I say like don't be afraid to be self indulgent, right? Like I, I damn I could go on a whole rant about like self indulgency and just like how the modern internet affects that, but like, don't be afraid of that, man. I, I say pull all that bullshit. If you want to pull all that anime bullshit in there? I say go ahead. Like, go ahead. Go, go be like Matt. Go like, go take like a million different inspirations and then create your own amphibia because like, holy shit. <laughs> he has like a, there's a lot of things that we're making this show. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. And, you know, all this uh, kind of like pretty easily uh, is finally like summed up in the last point, and that's number 10. Ooh, take big swings, make crazy choices, and have fun. That's, it's really funny to me how this slide uh, is peppered almost completely by, uh, <laughs> by uh, you know, moments from the uh, final fight between the trio and uh, the moon. Because really, it's just, it's, it's big. There's really no other word, word for it. It's big. It's bombastic. It's insane. Um, 
and that's honestly like one of the big takeaways because um hmm, uh this isn't something that matt said but it's kind of like how i'm uh choosing to understand it if if loading the party cannon um is kind of like readying everything for a very 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 big moment in any story um you know point number 10 kind of is kind of focused more on where you point the cannon towards like what big decisions are you going to do to you know set it off to just and what's going to be the payoff what's going to be the big the big moment what's what's it going to be um you know, sometimes I wonder how a show would play out uh, if it completely was like a Rube Goldberg and only at its true finale actually shot the party cannon. Amphibia did it in season two um, in True Colors, and that's what it worked. That's what worked for the show, and thus that's the decision that the show took—the very big decisions. You know, um, it's not just getting all these moments ready but making sure that they feel like they were worth something because if not your cannon is gonna shoot pretty pathetically uh and it's just, it just works like yeah the 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 hardest thing all in true colors um and almost like in a in a very much more subtle way reunion to all these episodes that pay off a lot of stuff even Toe tax, uh, escape to amphibia, others like that. That just were the the big thing is they're just they're just having so much fun. It's so uh, immediately obvious, immediately discernible how much fun the crew are having, and really that's that's something that just matters a lot because like removing the fact that this is their job and that jobs should ideally in my eyes at least, be something that's enjoyable and fun. It's it's also a story that people are going to, you know, consume and uh, analyze, criticize, judge, have feelings about one way or another, hopefully, because that's kind of like the point of making media, um, having some sort of reaction, hopefully the one you're looking for. And, you know, doing this, taking big swings, making crazy choices, having fun. I feel that's one of the best ways uh, to really, really have the audience, you know, feel as though their investment is worth it. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Sticks, for like walking us through those, uh, those 10 points. And uh, now I, I know we've made you talk for a long time, but like, I, I need you to, to, to to talk a little more about the that second that, that second panel <laughs> okay okay why why not i i i'll i'll indulge you all while i'm here <laughs> mm. okay but more seriously um this second panel uh if this first one was about amphibia proper this second one was uh much more about Matt's experiences working in animation in general. Um, so it, it's essentially much more... Um, it was a... a as I said uh, earlier, it was like... It must have been less 
than like two dozen people in that room. It, it was like a classroom setting. Uh, I took a picture uh, of that, but that's it because um, you know uh, we were we weren't allowed to record anything. Um, and also uh, to you know further drive the point, uh, Matt asked that we didn't ask anything about you know about the lore or uh, story stuff or things like that. Uh, it was all much more centered around uh, the decisions that were made, creative decisions, and uh, how Matt has sort of managed his career in animation um, in general. Uh, so, um, beginning, uh, we began pretty much by, uh, well, Matt arrived and it was, it was a magical moment. Uh, he, he was just there. I was. I had him right in front of me. It was crazy, uh, and he was so, so, so polite. So, he's such a nice man. It's insane. It's insane. But okay, enough gushing. Going into what he actually said. Um, he began by talking about how he got into animation in general. I think he's already mentioned uh, outside of all this um, in the past that. Uh, you know, a Pixar animator once uh, came into his high school um, and kind of like gave a talk about how the job was, uh, the, the general experience, you know, things like that. And that's what really ended up inspiring him. And uh, just as an aside, that's really interesting to me because um, Matt has clearly been a fan of animation for his whole life. Like, Clearly, like you mentioned, watching Pepper Ann and Dragon Ball, like in the same day, in the same like sit down watch through, uh, as a child. Mm. But knowing that he had kind of like this, you know, watershed moment uh, that was like, okay, I'm interested now. That's that's um, that's pretty humanizing because I feel that you know people in general, audiences, fans, kind of have this general misconception about who can go into animation um it's not about talent it's not even really about skill it's about well do you care about it and do you care enough about it to go into the being honest hellscape that the industry can be and well matt had that was the causes belly for him saying okay yeah let's try it and then he uh then we went on to uh, talk about um, getting into Cal Arts, his experiences at Cal Arts. There were a lot of really interesting details that I wasn't expecting. Um, uh, well, I'm pretty sure this is different now, but back then uh, when he applied, when he was uh, doing the admissions process, um, it was <laughs> it was apparently a lot of like uh, you know the portfolio that they were looking for was a lot of figure drawing. And he said it was really funny because, like, okay, so uh, uh, you've shown us that you uh, have an understanding of the human body. Now, uh, go do kind of like the opposite of realism and do a lot of stylizations, do cartoons for uh, four years. That's that's really funny. Uh, kind of shows a kind of a silly moment um, that he went through. Uh, but also, uh, as he was studying uh, as an undergrad. Um, mentioned several things uh, like for example um he originally when he was studying he wanted to be a character designer and that was like whoa 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 what i've never heard this before that's just not how i ever how i ever pictured matt and well 
in a way, it kind of makes sense because, um, you know, the designs that the characters have are pretty in line uh, in general with what Matt originally envisioned, especially when it comes to, like, Anne. Sprig went through a lot of design changes, but just it kind of shines through. Uh, and also, um, it was really interesting that he mentioned that um, when he was in CalArts, what CalArts essentially does is they make you do a thesis film each year, not just a final big one once you graduate. So once at the end, so one at the end of each uh, four years. So you end up making four films, and that's one of the strengths that he stressed about that school um, in particular is that, of course, uh, as he said it, all those uh, movies are going to be kind of crap, but considering uh, there's there's going to be a lot of progress between your first and your fourth one. Um, and I, 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 feel that, I feel that may explain, uh, you know, some of the general quality that I've seen from thesis films coming from that, uh, that college. Uh, and also, you know, also helps explain why maybe it has so much prominence besides the fact that it's well-connected and that it has proximity and the funding and whatever. Um, also, he mentioned that he didn't get to finish, uh, I don't remember how many they were, but I do know he mentioned that he didn't get to finish his, uh, he didn't finish his thesis film in one of his years. He just did not finish it. He didn't turn it in. It was just not done. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was about, but I thought oh, that was pretty humanizing, you know, like, god damn. Yeah, sometimes you just run out of time and, you know, that's okay. It can be disappointing and, you know, all the other negative emotions that come from not managing to do something at that important. Um, but, well, he pulled, he pulled through and, um, well, he graduated, of course. Uh, uh, he's been, he mentioned that he's been in the animation industry for like 11 years, 12 years. Which is crazy. That's a crazy amount of time. I forget that it's been a decade since uh, Gravity Falls premiered. <sighs> oh, oh! Speaking about Gravity Falls, um, well, okay. Some some more context. Of course, we all know Matt. Uh, well, after graduating, he he believed that he wanted to be a storyboarder, uh, and he worked on Turbo. Uh, at the end of the day, he didn't feel satisfied with that job because he felt he could be doing more. Uh, of course, that could be uh, related to the fact that he was, you know, in an entry-level position for a film that was already pretty much done, quote-unquote, in terms of story and creative decisions. Um, but he just felt like he could do more. He's, that's what he said, uh, that he had so much energy and he felt he wasn't doing as much as he felt he could be. And that's right around the time that a certain individual called Alex Hirsch went to DreamWorks and, well, I don't want to reveal too much, um, just in case this isn't something I should say, but let's just say um, after he went to DreamWorks, a lot of, um, a lot of storyboarders uh, ended up in Gravity Falls. Uh, working for the show. Uh, Matt saw Alex pitch the show to the network, to Disney, for the first time. And he said it was a completely magical experience. And 
Yeah, I think I, I'm sure. I think yeah. Matt has yeah, mentioned yeah. the story in another interview where like he, like Alex essentially like kind of like stole some talent. <laughs> no, the word he said that the word he used was poaching. <laughs> and that's super that's super funny because that that is pretty much what it was. And um uh Matt and Alex uh I don't know, they didn't know each other, but I think they knew each other's work like in terms of like, you know, um CalArts films and those that sort of stuff. Um uh what else? But well, he ended up working in Gravity Falls and that's that was kind of like his first big break, you know. Uh, I feel that, well, no, I don't feel that. It's just the fact that Matt really became well-known, uh, at least in the animation industry, and perhaps also among animation fan circles, uh, based on the work that he did in Gravity Falls. Um, you know, uh, of course, there's always the, the obvious, you know, Northwest, North, Northwest Mansion Mystery, the episode that he directed that went on to win him an Annie Award. That was like, oof, that was pretty big for him. Um, but also, there's this video on YouTube that I just that just popped up in my feed like some months ago. That was like that Matt is the one who pitched the idea of Big Henry, the episode in the mini golf episode Gravity Falls, dying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's, oh, of course he did. That makes perfect sense. And it's like, oh man. Oh man, Gravity Falls was must have been no, it was according to him just a joy to work in, um, and that's essentially, uh, you know, as Gravity Falls was. Since twenty ten, uh, that's when uh, Disney first started being you know interested in getting another animated show, or more animated shows going around that era, um. So from, you know, 2010 to 2015, 2016, that's when the show uh, is wrapping up. And, well, uh, when <laughs> it, it, there's a pattern here of Matt, like, you know, jumping from um, position to position, uh, you know, from character designer, uh, in theory, that he wanted to be, to border, to uh, director, you know, writer, uh, supervisor, all the way to showrunner. Uh, when he was first suggested by someone, when he he was first asked if he'd like to like pitch a show, you know, uh, not as in like an opportunity, but like in theory, would you ever do that? He was like, "No, <laughs> no, I'd never do that." Uh, well, he ended up doing that, uh, as we know. I feel pretty much everyone here knows. Um, uh, the first, you know pitch document stuff work that Matt did for Amphibia proper uh, dates all the way back to 2015. So, you know, as still as Gravity Falls was airing, uh, Disney was kind of already setting its eyes on possible people to, you know, to ask, uh, well, do you have a pitch for us? Uh, of course, that ended up the... Mm. From the Gravity Falls crew, of course, that ended up being Dana and Matt. Um, and, well, he also he mentioned a lot of many, many, many more things. Um, just recounting his stories already taking quite a lot of time. But, um, in general, I just want to point out that um, how I see it, from how he has talked 
about it uh, in interviews and in this talk. It really does feel like if Amphibia was not in development hell, it was in development heck. You know, like, like a mini version of it, because from 2015 all the way for the show to premiere in 2019, that's four years. That's like twice what Gravity Falls took. And, you know, thinking about it, oh my god, that makes sense considering how much, you, you know, how much the show has changed. From, it almost feels like, like from pitch document to pitch, to pitch document, from um, uh, visual development sketch to visual development sketch, from idea to idea, from design to design that we've seen made public. It really feels like the show just changed so much, like from step to step. Uh, of course, we all know, like, Amphibland feels pretty different. Uh, uh, there's also in this thread um, that I share on, on the notes, rather, uh, the first, you know, first ever art for, uh, for Amphibia, for the show that Matt made. And it's like, it's definitely Amphibia, but it's not, it's, ah. It's just so interesting seeing the evolution of it. Like, this is even before there was ever a pitch bible or anything. Um, it's just... It's, it's just going back to the uh, finding a North Star. Anne is there, and it's just... Oh my god, that's so clearly her. And uh, he also mentioned this, um, that it's just... The show was always about, you know, having this character. Who is a, an outsider. And getting to, you know know and understand and eventually fall in love with and love a this new world that needs new place that she's in and um after all this that's all pre um that was like half of the talk uh in the uh, more private thing then it was just general questions that everybody kind of had a chance to ask him directly Uh, yeah, it sounds like there's like a lot to learn there. I mean, dang. Oh no, but also, yeah, actually, um, yeah. Why don't you go ahead and like, yeah, bring up your question? Yeah, you you got a chance to ask Matt a question, right? Sticks, like, yeah. Why don't you go ahead and just ask him? All right, sorry, like, bring it up here. I had so many things to ask that I kind of had to limit it to uh, three, uh, and I had to be very quick about it. Um. Firstly, I mentioned, like, to introduce myself, that I was, you know, part of this podcast. Uh, he immediately recognized the name Warwood Gazette. <laughs> Let's go! Yeah, 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 yeah. The smile on his face was just immediate. Um, and I, you know, I mentioned to him, um, I kind of had to be quick. I didn't have much of a chance to really talk in depth with him about it uh, because his schedule was completely packed and tight. Um, that you know, we were also interested in getting more people on, um, like for example, Ian, uh, who also uh, attended the the Pixelato. Um, after that, then I made my my uh, more more serious question. Uh, among so many things that I wanted to ask, that between the show and just animation as, as a career and the industry and his experience and everything and everything. I kind of uh, did my best to synthesize all of those into one question that kind of, you know, really went into everything. Um, and that was, uh, 
Okay, I'm trying to think back on it. Uh, I think I have the audio saved of it. I'm not sure. Maybe. Um, but it was generally... Um, okay, what I said to him was... Um, so, it's pretty clear that there's been uh, this sort of shift in, um, you know, the cartoon, uh, Western cartoon canon uh, of from beginning in the 2010s uh, all the way to the present and ongoing that um, shows have dared uh, become less afraid to tackle, let's say, more emotionally resonant and mature topics and themes. Uh, and he immediately agreed with that, of course. And, well, just that is already pretty validating to me because, of course, this is uh, uh, this is my experience. That's how I see it. And he's essentially saying that, yeah, that's how it that's how it is. Um, the storytelling the storytelling uh, landscape uh, really changed. And he's mentioned before um, that when it comes to like shows that are semi serialized, you know, half serialized, half episodic, it's kind of like. It, it it had to it was something that the crews fought for because there were stories that they wanted to tell um but it wasn't really super um well received by well not only by you know by studios and xx and that but also by by the sheer format that they were using that's like episodic cartoons that are pretty short in episodes and well, seeing all of this, this general shift, this change, um, I asked him um, if he ever felt that there was not only difficulty managing uh, whatever the uh, the studio side, the the higher ups in you know in the company and uh, the executive board wanted you know, what they expected, what they wished for with a show that they're paying for to make. Uh, if there was difficulty in managing not only those expectations, but also the expectations of fans and fandom who, of, you know, the new sort of audience that sort of has formed around shows like this throughout the past decade or so. Um, because, you know, both of those sides kind of want the exact opposite things uh, in speaking broadly of course because you know um i mentioned it to him that uh at least personally uh angst is you know my my my, my one of my favorite things it's so it's just when it's done well and it's executed well it just hits so hard and it hits so well but like an exec may not be super excited about something like that being in a show that maybe for whatever they understand kids media to be so i was like so how do you manage that and well not only is there you know difficulty managing both of course there is but also how how do you deal with that as a showrunner as a crew member as someone working simultaneously for the people on the other side of the screen and the people at the very top of the building that you're working in and he he's he, he said a lot of very very illuminating things um uh firstly uh, when it comes to like angst uh he he said that angst was like it was like candy 
that's that, that's the word that's the term he used for it um it's like candy like uh it's if like function like of course we know uh confectionaries and sweets and just candy in the real world serves no real purpose by itself other than to give pleasure you know that's what sweets are for that's what sugar kind of has become uh in our diets um and angst kind of like is of course it's not that exactly but it kind of becomes like that because um audiences you know crave it it's it's a craving and uh when they get it it's like ooh, you know it hits it hits um but of course uh it needs moderation and it needs planning and it needs to be you know it it, it can't overwhelm your story uh, as much as um <laughs> certain fans would prefer it just needs to be properly balanced with everything else he's already mentioned in past interviews that he never wanted anything too dark uh in amphibia um but also nothing that felt like it was uh gratuitous was the word you know just there for the sake of being there and i feel that really makes sense because um managing both what the people paying for your show want uh both in terms of making it and in terms of watching it uh at the end of the day is a balance act that not only you know definitely exists uh, at every step of the way but also um it's so crucial to just be able to satisfy the needs of both sides while also not sacrificing your story so at the end of the day um uh, circling back to like past points about um you know animation and show running being a people job and you know needing to delegate needing to be a leader um just and just at the end of the day uh if you manage to satisfy the needs of of most people of of generally pulling that off it's very difficult and it's definitely uh, something new to consider, um, you know, in this day and age, now that uh, animation is, I don't want to say taken more seriously, but like, uh, by fans, you know, in terms of what they expect from a, a show, uh, but just seeing how, <clears throat> how people on, you know, different sides of the pipeline on the com complete opposite spectrums of the pipeline, essentially fans and producers and executives. What they want, what they expect. Um, hearing just how... Just, just hearing that bit, that angst is like candy, you know? I feel it was very, very, very... Just... It was so... It was perfect. It was a great way of encapsulating it because... Um, it's just a matter of making sure that um that yeah you know that your story was not only satisfying to yourself as the creator but also to the people watching it and to the people paying for it and just you know um what's the word for it mm. no it's just it's just it's just that it's just you know 
I guess to put it like back to like fit it all in the like candy analogies, you're having a balanced diet, and it's uh, definitely a different environment to thread in, considering the fact that you know people uh, watching these shows kind of want more of that content that just cannot feasibly be um, everything that a show is. Period. Like it. Not every episode of Amphibia can be true colors, because that just does not work, not only structurally, but also um, in terms of what the audience can even handle. So, just hearing all this and thinking back to how the show is structured, how the story is played out, it just makes so much sense. It's such a great way in which they've... um, you know, spread everything out. You know, there's reunion, and then there's two colors, and then there's you know more episodes. The hardest thing, all in, and I really feel that they've managed to. Um, well, I'm not gonna say please everyone because that's just not possible. Um, you know, of course, there's fans who would have wanted. Who knows how much angst we've all heard all the crazy theories, uh, but there's also the fact that well. At the end of the day, this show did get pretty affected by, um, you know, executives chickening out and getting too scared by, let's say, how much candy Matt Brawley was giving out. Um, but it, it, it worked, I feel. I feel it was worth it. And not only worth it, it was, it was very satisfying. Yeah, wow, 10 out of 10. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like really Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love that response. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know, man. Just talking about like animation and stuff like this it always just like makes the whole feel thing. It makes the whole thing feel so, you know, heartwarming, I guess. You know, just because it's like, like, I guess like looking towards the future and just being excited for what you know what people are going to bring into the stories we have now how they're going to be inspired how they're going to want to challenge themselves to make something better than what they love like i you know i i can't wait to see that unfold yeah Yeah, absolutely uh i think we can we can wrap up. I think I was just, I was just listening to sticks like just yeah drop knowledge, and then now I'm like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we hit the peak for tonight, guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that'll that'll conclude this week's recording. And uh, I was anti- yeah. I, I was anticipating like an hour long, but we already. We're yeah, we passed the two hour mark. It was like two hours and a half. Like, no, it's two hours. But... <laughs> yeah, two hours. Man. Dang it! But <laughs> thanks, guys, for listening. Thank you, Stick, so much for like actually attending Pixelotl and learning, getting all these details. I hope I hope you had a lot of fun there. It yeah. was a lot. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much, Sticks. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and. Uh, Next recording, we will be talking about. I'm, I'm leaning towards the all the. We'll, we'll discuss all the amphibia shorts in one video. I think that'll be the next one. Yeah, but it's gonna be more. 
There's gonna be more Matt interview bragging, of course. But uh, nah, I kidding. think I think we got that all out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. thanks for listening, and see you guys next time. Say goodbye, everyone. Right. Peace, yeah. everybody. See y'all. Bye. See ya. Mm-hmm.